This is the Sports Booth Podcast. I am your host, Mitch Booth, joined by my uh, compassionate uh, best friend of a co-host. I like it. Yeah, Chris. I like it, bro. The Apple Capple, the CC. Hey, what's up? Hey, dude, what is going on? CC from BG. Oh, I like that, you know? Uh not too much, man. It's been a busy weekend. We uh down Hawking Hills with the boys for bachelor party. Then uh Alyssa, yeah, and, I, Alyssa and I took it. Yeah, oh yeah. Hey, we remember uh both of our bachelor parties, dude. Those were those were the top of the chain, dude. Those like, were lit, dude. Like those were those are some of the best days of my life. Not just mine, but yours too, man. Uh, yes. Hey, listen, I was so happy with my bachelor party. Now, we didn't go out and do nothing crazy, but it was just straight sports that whole day. (laughs) That was kind of the best part. It was just like, so like uh, a football game, we played some football, football, basketball. Ultimate uh, chicken. Ultimate chicken NCAA tourney. Like, and and I don't want want to boast here, but I do remember your, your guy was like, I think seven for seven, three touchdown passes. Uh, okay. So, bro, okay. That, that, that was sick. That was, that was like the – Hey, his, my favorite line from that week was when I went out and caught a touchdown over Hunter, and you, <laughs> and you looked at him and you said, Hunter? More like Hunted. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That cracks me up, dude. I dude, still think of that sometimes. Dude, that was the epitome of a guy's day. Yes. Unlimited sports, like some pizza, dude. Like, yes. that, that was insane. That was awesome. Uh, that was sick. And, so, and yeah, we so, topped it all off by jumping off the blob. Mm-hmm. And Adam oh, lifeguard yes. was lifeguard. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Which we, need, which we need to at that point because, bro, we are so, so sweaty then, dude. Like, yes. Like, yeah. we were working – like, we are getting at it. Like, I remember it was, like – it was perfect numbers. There's five on five basketball. Yes. And like it was competitive. We were going at it, dude. Yeah. Oh man. So dude, that's uh, the first time that I really realized that Adam Reed can ball, dude. He can. He can. He's he can. got so he's got like a sneaky vertical. And he like yeah. he's got like the Larry Bird effect going on. Cause when you look at him, you're like, man, this guy can't ball. Yeah. And then he starts going off. Gmo's got the same thing going for him. Like one one thing I would say though is uh so Adam, I would say he would be there if he took like if he took like a week of of like working on his game. Gmo though, Gmo's there, bro. That 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 dude. I remember going to rec when he was an undergrad here at BG. We go together, dude. He would shut the gym down, like no lie. He's in he's hit everything. He's versatile, so he's 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 a bigger guy, but he can still run the run the two. That that guy is there. And speaking of GMO, hopefully after some negotiations, you no, know, we have our side. He has his side. Uh, he he, you know, we have to put. Uh, provisions in there that we won't roast him too hard, you know, all that stuff. Uh, I think we're finally going to get him on there this week, so stay tuned for that. Nice. Yeah, that would be sweet. Um, we might have some breaking news because you texted him, uh, and maybe he'll yeah. come through uh, on the podcast and maybe um, 
and maybe text you and, and tell you that the date is a go. Yeah. Um, yep. So we'll yeah. Do. So we've got, listen, uh, last week for me, we were on vacation and it kind of went crazy town, dude. Um, the, uh, it got too late and I don't know. I don't even know what happened, but oh, it got crazy. Good. And then by the time we were ready to record, it was like 11 o'clock. So I was like, well, let's just skip this Thursday podcast and we'll have uh, coach Cooper on at a later date um, to kind of finish stuff up. Uh, yeah, but that, that was, good. I thought that was a great podcast. Um, and, and this podcast is great too. So, um, so we've got a lot of stuff planned for you. We have some, uh, Bengals news. We have some Browns news. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to have a pretty cool segment. Um, one of the things is I thought it would be really cool. Um, there was an article that came out. So I want to talk about one player that the Browns should trade and one player that I think the Bengals should play. So I'll give my opinion on that. Yeah. Chris, I know you weren't prepared for that, but but if you feel <laughs> so inclined, you can as well. Yeah. Uh, so I, we'll have that on the show. Uh, we'll have some MLB on the show. Uh, and we have a terrible story about NASCAR. Uh, yes. It's just unacceptable that will that will hit as well. And then we'll close out uh, with some positive no- on some positive notes, kind of to bring you back up. And then we'll do our Who's Fried segment. Yeah. Um, well, and Chris, good. it's about time. It's getting to that time. We don't have to do it this week, but it's getting to that time where we need to do a right and wrong, I think. Yeah. Yep. Again, yeah, we do. Because I, I like that segment. Yeah, but, we, uh, we will. We will. So no yeah. worries there. Okay. So let's get into it. Um, I'll start with this. Uh, in terms of local news, uh, this is a pretty big deal for me, actually, because uh, I was talking to somebody from this organization today. Oh, oh. Um, they gave me a call, and uh, they and we had a pretty decent conversation for about an hour or so. Um, okay, and that is the Ca- the Cleveland Cavaliers. And uh, my source on the inside will remain anonymous. I cannot nice. say who it is. Hey, that's um, how that works. But uh, Andre Drummond, news broke today that Andre Drummond uh, has opted into the uh, to the contract with the key, with the Cleveland Cavaliers. And Chris, I think Andre Drummond is a fantastic player. Uh, he's a defensive presence. Uh, he's a rim protector. He's a rebounder. And the guy can score, and he's going to get you probably between 20 and 27 a night. Um, and and it feels like – and maybe it's me, but it feels like he's been in the league forever, but he's only 26. Chris, what do you think about this move? Oh, I think it's fantastic. This was a guy that uh, when they made the trade, it, it was a fantastic trade. I, I was all about it just because it provided that upside. It provided that chance that an all-star, caliber all-star like Andre Drummond could remain in Cleveland. Now, I thought that was a long shot when they made that trade, but I was okay with it because they really just unloaded some cash, some veteran deals to to get him. But now with the news that he will be back in Cleveland next year and he's planning on staying with the Cavs is awesome. And he can do a lot worse than Andre Drummond as your uh, as your highest priced player this is a guy that that's average for his career 14 and a half points and 13.8 rebounds I mean the guy's a double double machine he gets yeah. the boards he's he's a post presence now one thing people are going to say is that he doesn't fit the modern mold of a center that kind of 
goes out, you know, you know, shoots a three ball, goes beyond the post. He's your traditional center. But his game's evolving. We saw him starting to shoot more threes last year in his limited time with the Cavaliers. Uh, and so I think this is fantastic, very exciting, uh, and really surprised to me. But a great move for Cleveland and for a team that has that's building has a young core. This is a this is a superstar right in the middle of it all. Yeah, and and you know it it kind of reminds me, and and maybe this is me, but Cleveland seems to be going really guard heavy. Uh, and they have a really strong uh, post player. Uh, and they have uh, Porter Jr., um, who is a uh, small forward. Yep. Is that correct? That's that's the right guy, right? Yeah, yeah, he's pretty versatile. I don't want to make a mistake because there's Otto Porter and yeah, then there's my, Michael Kev, Porter? Kevin. Kevin, Kevin Porter. Porter. That's and then, right. Yeah, there's a Michael Porter Jr. So there's like yeah. so many Porters out, so I'm not yeah. wrong. And, and they're um, all and juniors. New. And they're he's all new. juniors. Yeah, so we have uh, Kevin Porter Jr., uh, who has come out, and he is a fantastic – I think he's a fantastic player. Uh, I like Colin Sexton. A lot of people don't. A lot of people think he's a bust, but I like Colin Sexton. He's played every game, and and he's going to give you 20, 20, a point, 20 points a night. Um, so we're pretty solid. We've got a solid young core. Yeah. And the thing I like about Andre Drummond is that if you can get a person that can distribute the ball – Dude, that's Lob City. That's yep. what that is. That's Lob City. Yeah. And and he's unstoppable in the post. Like, I'm sorry. You know, like, Joel Embiid is good. And, like, you know, Carl Anthony Towns, they're good. But it, it's because they're versatile. This guy is a pure center that you're not going to stop when he's in the post. And that's what I like about him is that he is – while you could be decent at a whole bunch of things – and that's kind of what the NBA wants you to be right now. I kind of miss the days where players were really freaking good at one thing. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and I think that that is what um, – I think that that's what different, differentiates um, yeah. Drummond from, from the rest of, yeah. of centers in the league. And yeah. you got a guy that can stretch uh, the court – that uh, can be either a big man or a shooter in Kevin Love. So I would expect to see Love line up at the four a lot um, this next – these next few seasons that he's there if they don't uh, trade him away. Um, yeah. Which, to me, at I this agree. point, why keep him? You know what I mean? Like, just blow the whole roster up and, and go young, you know, in my opinion. You already, you already are terrible. So. Well, and, and that's where I kind of see this a little differently. I mean, uh, like, I, I'm, I was kind of more in that boat of, you know, why keep Kevin Love prior to this? But this is, this, this is a great duo right here. And, um, and, I mean, like you say, it's a pretty good young core with, with, uh, with trade assets or draft picks and uh, – you know, with the upcoming free agency class, who knows they could add a veteran, another veteran guard. And this is a team that, remember, will have a lottery pick. That They have a strong – they finished with the second-worst record in the NBA. They have a very strong possibility of getting, a, getting that number one pick or definitely a top three pick. So this is a team that the biggest thing I view against them is inexperience. But I see it. You know, like you said, with with Sexton, 
Edmeth Porter, uh, and you know they even have solid role players like Larry Nance Jr. Um, with with Chetty. I mean, these are not guys that are going to be all stars, but when you have a Kevin Love and Andre Drummond, are these enough guys to make a run for the eighth, seventh seed in the East as a floor? I I could I could see that happening. Uh, because remember, this is the East that we're talking about. That's and that's so, very true. And so, I mean, I think this gives hope for. Um, I'm not saying Kevin Love will, spin, will finish his career in Cleveland, but I think this would give hope to keep your one of your All Stars there, joined up with Andre Drummond, and see what happens. See how it goes until at least the midway point, until the trade deadline, and uh, see what can happen. Because, like I said, I think the biggest thing is that could hold these guys back is experience so your opinion is kind of like this uh the one thing the Cavs are really lacking is experience and so why not keep a veteran guy like Kevin Love around um at least for a little bit to see if it works because he's more experienced and can help guide uh the young core that's kind of your position that that is now granted I am optimistic because I am a Cleveland Cavaliers fan and I Hate to see teams, especially Cleveland teams, throwing the towel on the tank and really try to rebuild. Uh, but you know that's kind of like that's kind of the mold of the NBA, right? You have your right now. There, there's a lot of big threes out there, or di- or dynamic duos. But you kind of have those two elite talents on your team. Then you kind of then you build around that. And right now the Cavaliers have. I would consider Andre Drummond an elite talent, definitely in the area of rebounding, and that he's consistent, and that he's only 26 years old. Um, I would consider him elite in the fact that he he wakes up and gets a double double every day. And then I'm not sure if Kem Love is elite, uh, but he's definitely, I would say, just below his All Star caliber threshold. He you can yeah. definitely still get it done. He can definitely go for 25 or 30 and throw in eight or 10, 10 rebounds. Right. And so I think these are two very capable players that you could build a team around. And in a conference like the East, you could really contend for a playoff spot if everything goes well. And if Colin Sexton continues to improve as he's been going, I mean, this is a this is a guy that just Averaged 20 points this past season, only his second season in the NBA. A guy that's really come a long way and who has really taken on that point guard, that starting point guard position for this team. Then you pair that with the Darius Garland, who's still coming along, and who knows what this number three pick could be. And so that's why I see it as you're this is a team that could some could see it as they're building around. They're two stellar talents. Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, so that that's, I, I think you're right. I will con- I will concede that, that I think we should keep Kevin Love at least till the midway point. So, I think so, that's solid. So you're, you're really, so does this Drummond deal make you a little more patient with keeping Kevin Love? Yes, because now they're actually actively trying to get better yeah. instead of like just keeping what they had. It's like if you're just going to keep what you have and be mediocre, then tank, yeah. you know? But yeah. Like, don't do one or the other. Like, because they have Kevin Love, and they already suck. So, it's like, yeah. why not just get rid of them? 
And and I like that that I like that this move kind of changes your mindset because that gives me hope for the Cleveland Cavaliers going forward. And right. how about this? It's just awesome to see here a guy that can get pretty close to top dollar on the market choose and express that he wants to be in Cleveland. So let's just give up to him for that reason alone, especially yeah. with all this Jadavion Clowney uh, right. nonsense going on too. Well, and speaking of, of, of people wanting to be in Cleveland uh, for at least what seems like the long term, uh, Kareem Hunt has came out yeah. uh, and said that he would like to be a Cleveland Brown uh, long term. And I think that, that, is, uh, that that's incredible. I think uh, I, I think Kareem Hunt is a he's a not so secret weapon. Um, yes, where you have to really watch for him because you've got so many threats, and you know to see Kareem Hunt maybe line up in the slot, to see Kareem Hunt like to do like a two back shotgun with Kareem Hunt and uh, and Nick Chubb in the backfield like that. Excite like that idea excites me. Those those that, are the cream hunt like the cream hunt, a Super Bowl. He he was like on a Super Bowl contending Chiefs team. Yep, and he was a league, uh, he was a league rusher. Like he was like the all time like number one league rusher, led the league in rushing, and he is now a backup on the Cleveland Browns. Yep, that's insane. And and that's what really surprised me when. You know, you mentioned this before our show that uh, – what did you say, Kareem, part of his um, announcement with this was – did you say he, he said that – He, he kinda, said that he knew that he probably wasn't going to get a chance anywhere else. And, and that's what kind of surprised me because, yeah, this is a guy that's still young, that we've seen how elite he can be. His second year in Kansas City – before he was uh, kicked off the team and suspended, he was again in the league. Uh, he was amongst the league leaders in receiving yards for running backs, rushing yards, scoring. Uh, this is a guy that's really played well on the biggest stages and really excelled. And um, and yeah, for him to so that's what kind of surprised me was him mentioning that he felt like he doesn't have very many chances left. If I, I would have thought he would have a ton of opportunities and suitors coming after him yeah well but I think um he's talking in terms of his character uh one when he like what did he just like kick a chick in the face or something like that he did that uh and that was a domestic violence and that's what got him kicked off the chiefs and then um he got caught with marijuana um in Cleveland when he was in Cleveland and that added to the suspension so yeah. I think he's talking about in terms of his integrity, he doesn't know if team other teams will take a chance yeah, at him. Yeah. So what he wants to do is re-sign with Cleveland for the long term and, and maybe see where that takes him instead of maybe trusting his value on the free agency market, which may be very diminished and overall earn him less money. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a good point. And, um, and – and I think that just speaks to the culture that the Browns are instilling in Cleveland, that that's someplace that this elite talent feels most comfortable that he could be successful in, regardless of this two-headed quarterback monster, that he's not the lead guy. Um, yeah. 
I think that just speaks to the culture in Cleveland and that, that the Browns are different, man. It's, this is a new era. And uh, Kareem Hunt wants to be a part of that, which, which is v- very exciting, very exciting. Yeah, for sure. So um, also Browns news. Um, I was reading on cleveland.com. Um, this is an, an article written by Troy L. Smith. And um, he writes in this piece, uh, the headline is, don't bet on the Browns making the playoffs this season, Ooh. experts say. Mm. So the bets, um, this is uh, betting pros, uh, which is a, which is a, basically it's a professional uh, gambling site that gives uh, bettors a hand, like maybe some leverage when they're making their gambles. It kind of gives them an illusion of them um, maybe making the best pick based off of analysis. Okay. Um, so the FanDuel Sportsbook uh, has the odds at plus 108 uh, at yes, they will make the playoffs and negative 130 at no. Okay. So given those odds, you would have to bet $130 on the Browns to miss the playoffs to win $100. Okay. Yeah. And you would have to put in, I think you would have to put in 108 to get a hundred dollars, like to get a hundred dollars. Yeah. So uh, basically that means that they think that uh, they think that it's the safer bet to go with them not making the playoffs because you have to pay more for that bet. But also when you pay more for the bet, um, yeah. you still have a chance of making money. Yeah. So. yeah. How, how, how do you feel about that? That the, uh, the, the biggest winner here is Ben against the Browns making the playoffs. How do you feel about that? And what do you think goes into, into that number there? So I think what goes into it, I think there's a lot of things. Um, first, I think they're factoring in team chemistry. Uh, the guys in Cleveland, we've brought in a bunch of new talent. Uh, we have a new head coach. We have a new GM. And, uh, and so it, whenever you have a regime change, yeah. Uh, expect some expect some issues in the locker room. Um, m- maybe not bad issues, but there's going to be some some clashing, probably between you know players that liked Freddie Kitchens, yeah. um, and and wanted to stick with Freddie Kitchens even though they weren't winning, uh, and the new coach and and or the positions coaches like you know I'm sure that when you're a linebacker you get really close with the current linebacker coach. And when they bring in a new linebacker coach and tell your linebacker coach goodbye, that probably can cause some frustration. We saw Aaron Rodgers was really frustrated when they let his quarterback coach go. So, um, I mean, he came out, I think that was last year, he came out and uh, put down the Packers organization over that. So uh, I think that, so I think there's obviously going to be some chemistry issues. How Kevin Stefanski will navigate those, we're not sure. We can't say. So will that correlate to not making the playoffs? I'm not sure. Uh, that's by itself. Another thing yeah. is you have to look at the track record. Uh, last year, they, the Browns were – they were mediocre. Um, and, and Baker did not perform well. Uh, 21 interceptions uh, and that – to 22 touchdowns and uh, – 
that was the second most interceptions thrown in the NFL uh, behind only Jameis Winston, who threw 30. And uh, so he, he regressed. Baker regressed. Uh, the Browns did not do well. Odell Beckham only had like four touchdown catches. Yeah. Um, and so I think they're looking at last year. Uh, and now they're also take, factoring in the chemistry uh, and maybe there being some turbulence with the new coach um, in the locker room and correlating that to uh, the Browns aren't going to make the playoffs. But So to me, that's kind of a short-sighted way to look at it um, because you're factoring in last year. Well, listen, last year we had a rookie head coach and um, who was really new to even being an offensive coordinator, you know? Yep. Uh, yeah. And then we just hired him to be a head coach. And then uh, we also had a lot of injury and, you know, uh, a lot of problems with discipline. And I think Kevin Stefanski is going to clean that up a lot. So, yeah. uh, you know, the Browns were one of the most penalized teams in the NFL. And I think that, that correlated to losses. So, yeah, yeah I agree. And, yeah, I think a lot of those are definitely contributing factors to that. Um, I I see just kind of like what you're saying, just like the whole like newness to this. We have not seen this work yet, and we didn't see it work last year with uh, a head coach who had great amount of success with Baker the year before for the latter end of the year, um, and with the team that brought in Odell Beckham Jr and Olivier Vernon, uh, and went after Greedy Williams in the draft, we, we did not see, we did not see very many wins out of them last year. And logically, if you didn't see very many wins with a, with an offensive, with a offensive playbook, which we thought would carry over, what would make the betters think that that would get any better this year? Now for yeah. us, it's easy to say, you know, We've watched Baker for two years now. We believe the talent's there. We believe the offensive talent is there. Um, we, we like Stefanski as a coach. But, again, we just haven't seen it. So, I just think lack of experience with this with these guys, what you're saying, yeah, just chemistry, how this will work. Because last year's show, you can have as much talent as you want. But if you guys aren't working together, then that's not going to get great results. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, speaking of, of guys working together uh, to get results, uh, let's move down to Cincinnati um, and, and discuss. They're trying to put together a great team that could, yeah. could uh, provide some great results. Uh, there's not much news, obviously not much NFL news right now. Things are really dying down. But this I found pretty interesting. Um, Mike Sando uh, of The Athletic, so this is per The Athletic, um, the Bengals have been listed as one of the 10 teams uh, that are the best fit for Colin Kaepernick. Um, oh, yeah. So, uh, and the reason being, and I, and this makes sense. It makes a lot of sense because one, you have a rookie quarterback um, and the backup, let me look and see the backup is Ryan Finley. Yeah. Um, and uh, he has basically, in, in 
He, the Bengals have scored a combined 33 points in Finley's three starts. I remember Basically, those. that's 11 points a game. Those were, those were not pretty. Not that's pretty trash. at all. Yes. Um, Finley completed 47% of his passes. Yikes. That's bad, dude. Yeah. That's really bad. That's, that's so if not... you're the Bengals, you have a rookie QB, um, and you could sign some a guy with some clout, like <laughs> Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. And not only could you sign Colin Kaepernick, but you also would get a veteran yeah. leader that has yep. been to the Super Bowl before, that has won playoff games. You know, like that's huge. Yeah. And and he can really probably guide Joe Burrow a lot. And and if Joe Burrow goes down, who do you feel better with, Chris? Ryan Finley or Colin Kaepernick, even though Colin Kaepernick hasn't played for four games. Or yeah, four games. it wouldn't matter how long Colin Kaepernick hasn't hasn't played. I would still go him over the mess right. that was Ryan Finley last year. Uh, but that's really right. interesting. I mean, there's been a lot of projections, best team faced with Kaepernick ever since he's gotten this um, this this steam, this roller coaster, this all the support for him as of late. But the Bengals, that's an interesting one because. You don't have to look much further than the 2017 Browns quarterback room to see that not having a veteran can really hurt a young quarterback. Think about that room. We had Deshaun Kaiser, Cody Kessler, and uh, Hogan, Kevin Hogan. And so, and we saw how disastrous that was winless, not a single win that season. And so I agree. Yeah, being able, the value of being able to throw a veteran in there. A guy like Kaepernick, who, like you said, has been there before, I think that could, I think that could really pay off for uh, for Joey there. Right. Yeah. So so yeah, that's all I have for local news, Chris. Uh, now I'll turn it over to you, Chief. Yeah. Perfect, man. So uh, after months of negotiations with Major League Baseball between the players' union and the owners, we are finally back to where we started yes. in March on the initial proposal. But this time it has been approved and breaking news on the evening of June 23rd. We have official set dates for uh, spring training 2.0 is going to be July 1st. Nice. Season is going to be starting uh, late July for Major League Baseball. Uh, It is a 60-game season, prorated, so fully prorated. So the players will get paid – for the sixty for those sixty games, uh, the full amount they will have gotten paid per game for just those sixty games. Um, this is a move that was mandated by the commissioner after, like I said, months of failed negotiations, and they still have a few hurdles to go through, uh, such as the Blue Jays in Canada. They have to determine with they have to discuss with Canada about traveling across the border those if, if that's not going to happen where where the blue jays going to play that they, they start to figure out various cities uh host locations but bottom line is we finally have an agreement and baseball is coming back mitch you you excited to uh you excited to you know potentially let's see late july it's not really a, it'll, it'll, it'll be unfortunate missing baseball july 4th but at least you can still have a, late, a Christmas in July cookout with some baseball. And how does that sound? 
that sounds great to me. You know, I'm not really a baseball guy, but, um, <laughs> but I'm excited for my friends that like baseball. That's really cool. So, yeah, you um, know, it, and, and so I'm just thankful. It's, it's a little, it's a little petty that we got back to where we started uh, in March, but Hey, whatever gets you there, gets you there. Um, and so, and then bounce on to another league the NBA, so we know that they're planning on starting back up on July 30th in Orlando in the bubble. Uh, the bubble being the Disney Sports Complex where all teams, all members of the team that are permitted to will stay. Uh, and then over the last week, we've really gotten some players that have come out and said, we're not interested in coming, whether it's through, whether it's because of the Black Lives Matter movement or for their own safety. Now, over the weekend, Trevor Ariza and I think Davis, it's not Davis, I think it's Davis, uh, Bertans, uh, Ariza of the Trailblazers, uh, Bertans of the Wizards have, these are two healthy players, have said that they are not going to participate in the Orlando tournament and is believed to be for safety reasons. Well, actually, I don't want to say that. I don't want to put words in their mouth. But, Mitch, do you think that these two guys coming out and speaking about and being vocal about their resistance to playing in Orlando, even though they are healthy right now, do you think that could lead to a larger impact or more players joining them in that? I guess um... – I mean, anything is possible. Uh, but yeah. At this point, at this point, man, I am tired of complaining. Uh, I, I just want to see some basketball, and uh, and I'm tired of it. You know, um, I understand that there was a great article that uh, that came out, and um, it was by a by a black GM in the NBA. And, uh, and he said, listen, I think there's an opportunity to use your platform to promote social justice. Now, is that the right way to go about it? I'm not sure, but it was an interesting article. And, um, and just, I guess I'm tired of hearing the complaining like toward Kyrie, but also them saying like them having problems with playing in Orlando and all of this stuff. Shut up. Like it is what it is. You know what I'm saying? Like shut yep. up and play the games. It is what it is. So. I, I, yep. I do want to say though, it's not confirmed what the reason is for not playing, whether it's for social justice or not. I'm, I'm not sure of the reason for it. Um, now, well, I was just saying that, sorry. I was just saying that in general, uh, because I know that we that Kyrie has been vocal about that as well. Um, yeah. And I don't side with Kyrie or not. What I what I am tired of is people coming out and being like, "Well, I'm not playing." Well, you got a chance to play for the for the championship. Like, yeah, either you yeah. want a championship or you don't. If you don't want a championship, then why are you even in the NBA? Yep. And even though uh, Bertans plays a lot more for the Wizards than Ariza does for the Trailblazers. I think that Ariza's uh, how he followed him and setting out the the postseason. I think that could carry some weight going forward, as we, as a lot of people know the name of Trevor Ariza and they they recognize him 
as a um, – I don't know if he's won a championship, but as a veteran player, it will be interesting to me over these next couple of weeks leading up to into their training camp if anybody else decides to sit out also. Uh, some other NBA news, uh, and this could be a big hit for our Denver Nuggets. One of the podcast's favorite, uh, uh, the Joker, uh, dad bod god, uh, had caught a, has, has a confirmed case of the coronavirus. This is after he hung out with his fellow uh, Serbian athlete and Novak Djokovic, and they both have now confirmed cases of COVID-19. So we'll see. I mean, I think it's a given that there's going to be some confirmed cases with the with this NBA plan. Um, but we'll see. I mean, the Joker on the Nuggets – that's a big hit. If you know now it's on the quarantine for him, and that's that's a lar- that's a very big hit. So that's definitely something to keep a track, keep uh, keep keep an eye on. And then just overall the whole scope scope of Florida and and with their COVID cases starting to surge a little bit more lately. Um, I will say a lot of those numbers have been more in Southern Florida than Orlando, but still something to keep an eye on. But the NBA overall is still heading towards their plan of a resumption in July, but um, we'll see if these players, if these players put a nail, put an end to that plan by themselves coming up here soon. Uh, and then as you alluded to earlier in the show, we did have some major NASCAR news over the weekend. So again, one of our uh, favorites on the show, Bubba Wallace, uh, the only African-American full-time driver in NASCAR who has been an advocate for the Black Lives Matter movement and even led the way in Confederate flags being banned from NASCAR races, uh, got to his garage on Sunday to find a noose in the garage. Now, again, uh, breaking news today on the 23rd, after an investigation involved with the FBI, it has been deemed that there that no hate crime took place in this event. The noose that was found had actually been in the garage for months now. The FBI discovered that it had been there since at least October of 2019, and it was and it was a uh, from my understanding it was a it was like a pulley for the garage door, and so the FBI concluded that there's no way that anybody would have known that Bubba Wallace would have been in that garage um, as that as that piece of rope had been there for months now. And they have deemed it to not be a, a hate crime, which I think is great news. Because I That's know very I, great news. I, I felt I felt close close to sick that somebody inside NASCAR organization, because remember these garages with all the security now over COVID, this is only a select group of people that are allowed in and out of these facilities. Yeah. That made me feel horrible. That it would have to be somebody intimate with. The, yeah. The, the, yeah. The potential of another driver or another crew member. And then, so at, at the race on Sunday, after this was found out, um, or actually the race yesterday on Monday, after this was found out, uh, Nat, all crew members and drivers escorted Bubba's car to the front of the um, to the front of the line, and 
as a sign of solidarity and support for him. And I thought that was great. But at the same time, before this FBI investigation took place, I was, again, feeling a little sick that could whoever did, did that just be blending in, you know, in with this crowd showing fake support. So just great news all around that it wasn't a hate crime. But still, I, I think some good news out of that is that we see the support, the fraternity, the, you know, the NASCAR fraternity stepping up for one of their hurting members. Uh, what do you think about that whole story, Mitch? You know, I was, I did not hear, I just had heard that they found um, something that resembled a, a, a noose, uh, which is just never appropriate given the history that, uh, that we have in America dealing with, with such um, items in uh, the, and the connotation that they bring, yeah. um, you know, with, with lynching and things like that, which is a, a horrible thing, no excuse for it. Um, but I had not heard that it was concluded that that rope had been there for months. Yes. yes. And so, they... so uh, that's why I opened, obviously when I opened the show, I thought it was going to be a negative thing to have to talk about. Yeah. Uh, and, and hearing you say that, that actually really brings me a lot of relief and I'm really happy. And who knows, man, I might start watching NASCAR more often. I, I watch it every now and then, but, but I might have to become a regular, uh, a regular uh, viewer. Yeah. And, and that's the, that's the thing. I mean, this is really, I think NASCAR, I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. I was at a restaurant yesterday during Talladega and I was kind of, no, actually before we went to the restaurant, I was kind of flipping back and forth and I was watching a little bit of it because of Bob because of Bubba Wallace and the attention that it has now and uh, and from um, other viewers, first time viewers that were watching it also, I've learned that NASCAR is really embracing the the attention that it has right now. I think about maybe it has more supporters from the black communities since the Confederate flags have been taken down uh, and their support of Bubba Wallace and blast cars. I mean, Oh my gosh, what did I just say? NASCAR has really been embracing that and was offering a live Twitter feed of like information and providing information during the race of like what, like how to keep track of who's in first and laps and really doing a much more detailed analysis of the sport. So I thought it was really cool. And man, I might join you for a NASCAR race sometime, Mitch. Hey, dude. Hey, listen, we'll go down to Bristol, man. We'll go down to Bristol. <laughs> yeah. and we'll, stay, we'll stay in Roanoke the night before. We'll go down to Bristol and, and hang out and uh, watch that, watch the race. I there think you'd go. like it. It's fun. Maybe. It's fun. Maybe. Yes. And, then, and then lastly, going around the leagues, we have uh, NFL. Like you said, not too much going on there. They're still on track for their start of the season. Um, some new news out there league-wide is that they have been – all players have been encouraged to not hold private workouts with each other. So we hear about this every year about, you know, Baker's – you know, we saw this a couple weeks ago with Cam Newton and Odell getting together and tossing, Tom Brady breaking into parks and tossing around. And so they have been strongly advised and encouraged by the NFL's uh, head of – uh, I don't know what is health, health and safety, whatever it is, yeah. to not get together and throw. Now, uh, this is interesting because we, you know, 
Tom Bray's just through recently with his guys. We see a lot of these guys with on new teams or new coaches, guys like Joe Burrow, who's trying to organize workouts with his teammates. Uh, do you think, do you think guys will really start listening to that or, or no, Mitch? Uh, I, I know it's tough to tell because you're not on their head, but I mean, we do have to remember this is coming after Ezekiel Elliott testing positive for COVID. Uh, and a couple of the Buccaneers, I think it was Buccaneer players also uh, testing positive. It's such a tough, it's just a really tough yeah. circumstance because um, it's really hard to know to me if, because on one hand, we've already opened up. You know what I mean? Like everybody's opened up. Ohio's basically open. You can go to a restaurant. You can go get your hair cut. You can go, I mean, whatever. Um, and so to me, it's like hard to understand, like how can a virus go from basically not really being a factor to now it's a factor again. So like, what, what is it? You know what I mean? Is it, um, so to me, I, I feel like on one hand, um, I can understand that uh, players are testing positive for the coronavirus. Um, yeah. And that could be scary to them. Um, on the other hand, I also understand that they have a job they have to do and that they have to prepare for that job if they want to win. And their job, their prioritizes winning. Um, and so if a player looks at the risk of COVID-19 and they say, I'm willing to take it, then yeah. I don't understand how you can say that that's wrong or right, you know? Yep. And, and, and I get the, I get, I understand the recommendation against getting together, gathering in groups because throughout the whole reopening process, we've still seen the importance of, you know, keeping distance and tossing a football around, sharing a football, getting close quarters. If you're, especially if you're snapping the ball, uh, sweating, all that kind of violates the um, the the di keeping a distance, and it doesn't that that kind of helps spread germs when you're doing things like that. But again, like what you said, these players risk like however they weigh it. I mean, if you get COVID nineteen, I mean honestly, if you get COVID nineteen right now, you know the NFL has canceled all formal programs until training camp in late July. And so if you get, if you want to go out, throw out the guys right now, if you get COVID, well, today's June 23rd, two weeks quarantine, you're still making it in time for training camp. And so, uh, and so we'll see uh, how many, you know, who, who decides to go on with that or not. But um, I, I think it'd be most indicated by if the, if the NFL made it mandated. You can't right. get together with guys. Then I think that would show that guys are – there's still a large portion of players that are getting together. Um, and then lastly for the NFL, Jamal Adams has formally and very publicly requested a trade from the New York Jets. Uh, he has six teams that he's prioritized as trade – as teams he'd like to play for. Unfortunately, the Browns are not one of those teams. Uh, but reports are that he's really trying to work 
his way to Dallas uh, to get down there. So what do you think about Jamal Adams being on the market, Mitch? And, uh, you know, this is kind of weird times with the Browns going after Jadavion, but potentially there's another all-pro talent available for them. Sorry about that yawn, guys. Wow. Um, (laughs) So uh, I think that the Browns um, throw a bunch of money at both of them. Yeah. And uh, whichever one signs first then don't sign the other one. And, and <laughs> just like that. Yeah. And like, um, if, I mean, I don't even know if that's how it works. I mean, obviously I'm just speaking from like a person standpoint. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I throw money in both of them and, and see what can happen. All you could do for the New York jets is put in a, tr- a trade offer. And to be honest, um, Jamal Adams has asked for, the uh, the trade that does not guarantee that he has to go to one of those six teams. Yeah, um, that's true. And and so you know, yeah, I would find it hard to believe that. Um, I would find it hard to believe that he would go. Um, Sorry, I would find it hard to believe. My wife just texted me. Um, okay, and there's no good. AC on in the house, and it's like. Cats and dogs. Oh, you're uh, good. Living in the streets and like it's animal madhouse right now. So I'm like sweating my uh my family jewels off. Um, but no, I I would find it hard to believe that that the Jets would trade him um to a to a top tier franchise like Dallas Cowboys. I would say he's really good, so bury him, you know. (laughs) Like put him in Jacksonville or something. Yeah, yeah. So who knows? That could happen. Um, just very interesting. Uh, and bad, you know, obviously horrible for the Jets. A team that I was a little high on coming into the season as a sleeper, really not doing so well helping out their top guys there. So we'll see how that looks. But uh, you ready to get into our Who's Fries section, Mitch? Uh, yeah, we can be. I had a little bit more planned, but we could get to that next oh, week. Let's do that. You sure? Um, My bad. No, yeah, okay, yeah, that's cool. Um, what, 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 so, what'd, you, what'd you have? What'd you have? So, okay, so I wanted to do a, uh, a little, um, I wanted to do a little uh, exercise here uh, where we take players uh, from, the in, in, uh, from the AFC North, uh, similar players that play the same position, and we compare them to each other. So, uh, and then we decide who we think will have the most productive season uh, in the upcoming um, in the upcoming games. All right. So, uh, that being said, what we'll do this week uh, today is look at the uh, Bengals and the Browns, and then on Thursday, I, or yeah, and on Thursday, I would like to look at uh, the Steelers and the Ravens. All right. Um, and then switch them. So it would be Browns, Ravens, Bengals, Steelers, Steelers, Browns, Ravens, Bengals. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we'll, we'll switch them and we'll just continue to do that uh, and, and compare each of them. So today I wanted to talk about the Browns and the Bengals since those are our hometown teams. What we'll do is we'll take two wide receivers uh, that we feel like have a similar role on that team. Um, we will take the running back. Uh, one running back, obviously the starting one. Uh, we will take the quarterback, and okay. we will take 
and we will take uh, who we feel like is the number one tight end and we will compare them and we will say who has, who will have the better season. And then we'll write these down hopefully. Um, and, uh, and I, I feel like this could make a great uh, where I was right, where I was wrong segment <laughs> eventually. So, okay. All right, man. So where do you want to start? You want to start with the quarterback position or you want to go wide receiver or? Uh, yeah, l- let's go. Co- let's go quarterback first. Okay. So uh, Joe Burrow, just a quick overview. Uh, blue chip prospect, uh, probably the most complete NFL prospect that we've seen since Andrew Luck, uh, national champion, uh, former Buckeye, um, LSU Tiger, Heisman Trophy winner, um, phenomenal college stats, versus uh, Baker Mayfield, who is also a Heisman Trophy winner. Um, college has has made an appearance in the college playoff. Yeah. Um, he had a phenomenal rookie season with the Browns where he, um, where he sat a few games, but still broke uh, the rookie passing TD record. Yeah. Um, and, and he is, and he's pretty quick. So he has like, he, I guess he's not quick, but he can run. He's mobile. Um, and, and, but the downside is that he has degraded um, in his sophomore campaign uh, throwing 21 interceptions and 22, uh, 22 touchdowns, uh, paired with a 59% completion rating. So, uh, he, yep. went, he definitely went backwards. So, uh, I think these guys are, are pretty similar, uh, in the fact that we really don't know what we're going to get with them. Um, so my question to you, Chris, who do you think has the better season? Joe Burrow or Baker Mayfield? All right. So I think in terms of wins and losses, I think and and stats except for one area, I think Baker Mayfield has the better season. Uh, you look at this guy, he's enters, entering his third NFL season. Uh, we already talked about all the talent that's around him, and he and he has to perform for his job this season. He has that motivation, he has that on him to really go out there and get some wins. And I believe the wins will be the focus. We've talked about this before, how we believe that's the determining factor for Baker is how many wins the Browns get this season. But I will say that I think Joe Burrow, here's my, uh, here's my um, hot take here. I believe Joe Burrow will throw for more passing yards than Baker Mayfield. A couple of things going to that. Uh, Baker has the elite run game. That we talked about earlier with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And he has a head coach who, as we saw last year and in his previous stints, likes to run the ball. Uh, he doesn't need a air raid quarterback to win ball games and to produce offensively. And also Joe Burrow, Bengals could be down in quite a few ball games. They could be coming from behind. Um and their running back in Cincinnati is also a very proficient pass catcher that they can utilize him in both areas. So I think Baker Mayfield overall has a better season. However, I could see Joe Burrow uh, having more passing yards. What do you think? I uh, see the same thing, um, actually. We agree on this. 
Yeah. I think that Baker Mayfield uh, is put in a better position on a better team. Uh, he's not under as much pressure as Joe Burrow is, I think, because there's a supporting cast around him. Uh, it's not like, you know, for example, you know, Joe Burrow has to save Cincinnati. You know what I mean? They went two and 14. Okay. And, 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 and so for me, you know, Baker, and basically it's just Joe Burrow. I feel like, I mean, they have Tyler Boyd, they have T Higgins, they have AJ green, but how many years have they had AJ green and not done anything, you know? So, so, so you think, you think Joe is under more pressure than Baker this season? I do. I do. And here's why. That's where I disagree. Okay. That's fine. But here's why. And, and this, okay, maybe more pressure is wrong. I feel maybe that was the wrong way to put it. I feel that Baker has more confidence in okay. himself. Okay. Um, and because it's not all on his shoulders. Um, he has two phenomenal running backs. Uh, and, and Joe Burrow has a decent – he's got a really good running back. Uh, Joe Mixon is a good running back. What am I talking about? Um, but – I mean, how many times have they had A.J. Green and they've done nothing with him? You know what I mean? Like, so to me, I feel like Joe Burrow is the added piece that is supposed to, like, really spark the Browns. Whereas, okay, we've seen what Baker Mayfield can do. We're realistic about what he can do. And now we've added all all these other pieces, Austin Hooper, uh, Odell Beckham, uh, Baker, uh, Nick Chubb. We, well, like we've added all of these people, these pieces, not Nick Chubb, but Kareem Hunt. Um, we've added all of these pieces and now we're like, okay, now Baker go out and perform and do your job. And, uh, and so I think that Baker is more confident because he knows that the load is not squarely on his shoulders. Okay. Uh, he's got a better offensive line. Whereas Joe Burrow is going in here like, okay, this is my first year. I've got to do, really good um the Bengals sucked last year they have high expectations on me I feel like the pressure the the, when we had really high expectations on Baker I think was last year when we were saying they're gonna win the Super Bowl you know this year this year everybody's kind of come back down and it's like "Eh." well to me that that creates some more pressure on Baker because this is his third year you can't be regressing especially on such a talented team in my opinion so if these two teams go three and 13 next season I'm very confident that Joe Burrow will get another shot the following season but I'm not so high on Baker getting that same opportunity or having that same support from the organization and fans if the Browns go three and 13 so I'm so I'm disagreeing with that I, I think this is and as far as it being on Baker's shoulders, maybe, I mean, maybe in the X's and O's, yeah, it's not, the offense doesn't rely as much as on Baker as it does with Joey, but from the public perception, from the organization, this is 1,000%, again, in my opinion, this is 1,000% on Baker to get this team over the hump and get into the playoffs. And so See, if I nail that, then I think that comes back to Baker because he's the quarterback, whether that's fair or not. And we've seen the head coach and quarterbacks in the NFL, they take they take the blame. And Baker said that himself. As the quarterback, 
I take the blame for any time we don't get a win and he and he owns up to that. And so I think as a Browns fan, I'm not like back down to earth on the Browns. I'm more I'm expecting a whole lot more than last year because this is Baker's third year and because we saw so much his rookie year. I want more of that. I'm not expecting okay, you know, mediocre. We were mediocre last year. Now just a little bit above that would be good, but we don't need to be great. I expect success being Rick Tang for the playoffs. And if they have a losing record similar to last year, I, I, I guarantee there's going to be a lot of people who are not going to be happy with Baker Mayfield. And if there's, and if they're in a position to draft to go quarterback or even trade for a quarterback, or if there's a free agent quarterback out there, I could see a lot of support going that way for the Browns if the if the if the Browns have a similar season as they did last year. See, I, but here's where I disagree with you because Baker's got so much talent around him that and, and with the offense the way that it is with that one read system and the accuracy, all Baker Mayfield's got to do is just sling the ball. I mean, to me, like I mean, he's got talent everywhere. Yeah, you so- know. So if the Browns don't do well, you're not you don't look at Baker like what the heck you should you have you had all this talent you just had to get them the ball. So I think that if the Browns don't do well, uh, I think I will be disappointed in Baker. But I guess I guess I'm feeling like Baker is more confident than in his ability than what Joe Burrow would be because Baker has been in playing in games for like, so I'm talking about internal pressure. I don't feel like there is as much internal pressure like within himself, Baker Mayfield saying like, I, I don't know. Maybe okay. I'm wrong. I don't know. Well, but I, we'll, we'll have to pick that up another day. But, uh, but bottom line is. Maybe I'm fried, are- dude. I'm talking about like when he looks, when he wakes up in the morning and Baker Mayfield looks in the mirror I think that Baker Mayfield knows I'm the freaking bomb. Dude. I've and got this in a bag. I and I could disagree with that also because you is, don't think so, dude. This is this is you're talking about confidence. I yes. want to hear about Joe Burrow's confidence. This guy went to LSU. He he came back after a subpar season and he destroyed the SEC and he looked the media in the eyes and said, I told you so. We were going to do this. A lot Bro, of interviews, that's confidence, dude. You're talking about Baker Mayfield, though. You're talking about the guy who didn't make it on to Texas A&M and then walked on to, to Oklahoma and won the Heisman Trophy, dude. And then everybody was like, no, Baker, he sucks. He's not going to be – he's Johnny Manziel 2.0. Then he turned around sets the rookie touchdown record. Come on, yeah, dude. That's great. I'm saying there I, – I just can't – Don't act like coaching I, I can't, didn't just, play into that. I, I, you know? I just – I just can't – and this is a little bit of a weird conversation for me because I don't know these guys personally, so I can't really speak their confidence. But I, all, you, all you hear about with Joey is confidence. And I feel like it takes a ton of confidence to come from Athens, Ohio, to go to Ohio State in a crowded quarterback room, a Buckeye legendary quarterback room, be there with those guys, go down to LSU, 
and do what he did and then and, and just tear up the SEC. But it doesn't – let me ask this. Skill set. But it doesn't take confidence to – to not make it at Texas A&M and then walk on at Oklahoma? It does. That's why I said this is a weird, this is a weird conversation because I think they're both confident. I, I don't know what, how my gauge is on evaluating their confidence. but uh, I think you have recency bias for, for, for Joe Burrow, dude. No, I just want to stand up for him that all, all I've heard about Joe is confidence. And so, for, I, I don't know. I don't know. But we'll, we'll have to pick this up another day. All right, we got to um, continue. We got to continue. You're right. You're yeah. right. You're right. Okay, let's go uh, to the wide receivers. Um, the first one we'll look at, I feel like this is a great matchup. Uh, we'll go to the number one guys. I think uh, both of them are incredibly elite wide receivers. Uh, they've proven that in the past. Uh, and so we will compare Odell Beckham and we will compare uh, A.J. Green. Um, A.J. Green is a phenomenal athlete. Um, he has one of the quickest uh, he has one of the quickest first steps that I've seen. Um, he's quick off the ball. He'll beat you deep. Uh, he's an he's a excellent route runner, fantastic hands. Um, whereas Odell Beckham, he also is, he's also quick, but man, where he really gets you is his hands, dude. I mean, that mm -hmm. dude can catch anything thrown at him. Yep. Uh, and we saw it. We saw it with that New York Giants catch. We saw it with the catch that he had against the Bengals in the last game of the season when it yep. was. Yeah. I mean, we saw it twice that game. Um, so, question, who has the better season, A.J. Green or Odell Beckham? So, I think I've, I've got to go Odell Beck, Beckham just because of the um, – just what you said, the elite, elite talent that he is. I think talent-wise, he's still a level above love above AJ Green, uh, which he has some years on AJ also to his benefit. Um, but I just think with this offense and with a gunslinger at quarterback, and on an offense that has plenty of weapons that defenses can't afford to focus only on Odell and with the, with the double team. Uh, I think I think Odell has a fantastic year, and uh, with again, what I just talked to the sense of urgency with the Browns to get some wins. Uh, they need Odell to be a part of that. They need a strong receiving core to score touchdowns to to move the ball. And so I think I think out of the two, Odell Beckham Jr. has a better season than AJ Green. Yeah. Um, wow. We agree again. I think Odell Beckham will have a better season as well. But like you said earlier, I don't think it will come in terms of yardage. I think Odell Beckham will have a better season in terms of receptions. Okay. And a better season in terms of touchdowns. Okay. Um, but that might not correlate to yardage. Uh, so to me, I think that, um, that Baker has developed chemistry with Odell Beckham. Um, yep. And so I think that uh, that's going to be a favorite target of, of Baker's. Um, and, and so to me, I think that it will correlate uh, to touchdowns uh, just because of Odell's phenomenal hands. Um, and I think he'll get some receptions as well. Yeah. Uh, but, but see, that's a risky bet because Jarvis Landry is a high volume receiver. So, um, so that's a risky bet, you know, I, yep. I, 
but I still I'm pretty confident in that. Whereas I think Joe Burrow uh, will target somebody that's um, that's a little uh, that's later on the list, like right now. Um, so <laughs> uh, at the wide receiver position, I don't think that there's any question that uh, that Tyler Boyd is the second best wide receiver uh, on the Bengals roster. I, I don't think that's even a question. Uh, T. Higgins has a question mark beside his name because we haven't seen him yet. Uh, but Tyler Boyd went out there and proved it. And he did it when uh, talents like John Ross were injured. Um, and, and he went out there and, and blew it up. So I guess, you know, in terms of the star power, Tyler Boyd doesn't have it. Um, but, but he's a great player. I mean, he, he is, he has really done it. Yeah. Um, and, and stepped up and, and had a breakout season last year, but let's compare him to a guy who is also a pro bowler. Um, uh, he had a great stint with the dolphins. He's a high volume receiver, uh, more of a slot guy, but definitely the second best wide receiver on the Cleveland Browns. Uh, not even a question, uh, maybe even, he might even be one of the best wide receivers in the uh, in the AFC North, Jarvis Landry. Who do you have? Who do you think the, has a better season? Between the two, I'm going to have to go from a from a statistics standing, uh, and wins and losses this entire thing. I'm going Browns. Statistically speaking, I'm going to, have to go Tyler Boyd in this one uh, for the fact that Cincinnati has less playmakers than Cleveland uh again for the fact with Joey that I think that they could be playing from behind which is more passing um I think there's always the well not always but there's a chance for an older AJ Green to get injured again I don't want to put too much stock in the injuries but well and we've seen Tyler Boyd flourish as the number two bit with AJ but we've also seen him still be productive as the number one when AJ wasn't there last season, not to the same extent. So I think either way, his floor could be maximized with an AJ Green injury. And I love Jarvis Landry. I think he is one of the best possession receivers in the NFL. Historically speaking, he is the, he's on track to be the best reception, uh, reception at NFL through his numbers, through this stage of his career. Um, but I think that there's a ton of mouths to feed in Cleveland. I think that touchdowns could be vultured by the run game, if not Odell, if not Austin Hooper, if not David Njoku, if not Baker running in himself. Uh, and I think receptions-wise, you've had a whole other layer with Austin Hooper there with the three tight end set that is rumored to be in Cleveland uh, with the receiving skills of Kareem Hunt. And so all those things together, I believe Tyler Boyd has a better chance of having a better season statistically than Jarvis Landry. And I agree with you on that too. Wow. We have to stop agreeing here, Chris, but the, (laughs) but the difference is the difference between me is, is I think that Tyler Boyd benefits even more from AJ Green being on the field Okay, Uh, because one, I think that they are more likely to say a team is more likely to say, I am not going to let A.J. Green beat me. I know he's super good. Yeah. So I'm going to make them go throw to another guy. 
Yep. And so I think that opens up a lot of uh, a lot of possibilities for Tyler Boyd to get uh, more receptions and to get more yards. Um, also, Jarvis Landry is a high volume receiver. He's a great route runner. He's able to get open. Um, but and and in saying that, I still think uh, that he's that that Jarvis Landry will have more receptions than okay. Tyler Boyd. Okay. Um, I yeah. do not think that he will have more yards than Tyler Boyd. Okay. Okay. Uh, cool. Because I think that a lot of those receptions are going to go uh, to Joe Mixon as well, and and to uh, to some of their talented uh, tight ends and AJ Green. You know. Um, yeah. So when you're a rookie, I feel like you're going to look to the veteran guy when you need a play made. Yeah. You know, that's yep. me. So, so I think that, that he's going to have, so anyway, uh, all right, moving on. Uh, let's look now at, um, let's look now at Nick Chubb. This is a great, interesting matchup. This is Nick Chubb or Joe Mixon. Okay. Who do you think has the better season? Okay, between Nick Chubb and Joe Mixon, I'm going to go with Nick Chubb uh, because we saw him only a few yards short of the Russian title last year. And I think the biggest benefit for Nick Chubb is that he has the compliment of Kareem Hunt, that it's not all on his shoulders, that, that, he, that he will get breaks, he will get, he will get time. Um, off the field, he's not the he's not the primary lead back, as opposed to how Joe Mixon is, who again that could lead to an increase in numbers being a lead back, but also a little bit more wear and tear. And I think Kareem, I think Nick Chubb being able to stay fresh throughout the game, with the compliment of Kareem Hunt, is and, and the success that that offense has shown, that Stefanski has shown with guys like Dalvin Cook, that. He, he that he he likes the, that he likes to lean on the run game a lot. I think Nick Chubb we have fantastic year both in rushing yards and scoring touchdowns. And so out of the two, um, again based on Nick Chubb, you know, have that complimentary back beside him. I'm gonna go with Nick Chubb having a better season than um, uh, Joe Mixon. Mixon. <laughs> completely completely lost it there for a second. Um, okay, for a so. Second. <laughs> All right, so um, so I am actually going to differ with you on this. All right, good, good. I think Joe Mixon has the uh, has the upper hand here because of two things. One, uh, last year we saw Baker through a lot of interceptions, uh, and, and we saw that Baker really struggled uh, with uh, with what the defense was doing in the secondary. Yeah, and so what I think that NFL defenses will do with Baker Mayfield is they know that Nick Chubb is going to go off. They know that for sure. So what I think they're going to do is they're going to stack the ball, they're going to stack the box, and they're going to say, "Throw it." Okay. That's what I think they're going to do, and they're going to say, "Throw it," uh, and 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 make Baker beat me with his accuracy and with his arm and with his decision-making. Is that and, not going to happen with Joey though, with the rookie I, quarterback? They're not going to stack it on him. No, I do not think so because I think where I think that teams will think that AJ green and Tyler Boyd 
are the strong point of that offense, hmm. and they will allow Joe Mixon. Maybe they will say, I think they will say, beat me running the football because their offensive line and run blocking is subpar, I think. Okay. Um, I, I think their run blocking is mediocre. I think their offensive line in general is mediocre. So yeah. I think what they will do is count on Joe Burrow uh, being hurried a lot and making mistakes from a hurried mindset. And so they will drop into coverage and say, you know, okay. beat me with the run. That's what okay. I think they will say. That's, okay, gotcha. that's me. So yeah. I think, although Nick Chubb, I think it's close. I do think it's close because there's no doubt in my mind that Nick Chubb is the better running back there. Um, yeah. But I think Joe Mixon will have the better season in terms of yards. And I think he'll have the better season in terms of touchdowns too. Um, so, yeah, that's that's me. Okay, hey, moving and on. I, and, I, and just to be clear, I, I love me some Joe Mixon. I think he is a great running back. But in this debate, I've got to go Nick Chubb. Yeah. Okay, last, uh, let's do tight ends here. Uh, so, I think we would say Austin Hooper. Yeah. Uh, and – who even is the Bengals' t- tight end? It's not Eifert anymore, is no, it? No, it's not. It's not Eifert. Eifert's from Jacksonville. Uh, it's Uz- Uzama. Isn't that what yeah, his last name yeah, is? Yeah, yeah. That dude's CJ. a beast, though. CJ, yeah, he's definitely had some good games. Definitely had some good games. Um, you know, I'll I'll let you go first on this one because I gotta give this a a great deal of thought here. <laughs> It's hard because we like we haven't seen Austin Hooper a lot, um, <laughs> but also uh, TJ is kind of a no name. No, so, I'll, I'll let I'll let you take this one first. I uh, oh so I have, so I have okay. Time to think. Uh, I think the checkdown route. Um, I think the checkdown route a lot is the tight end, and so uh, for a young quarterback. Uh, I think that they will check down a lot. So I think that that gives Joey uh, throwing to the tight end a lot more, but I don't think he'll get as much yards. And this is where I I I think Austin Hooper will be a a way better target. Okay. One, because he's he's a pro bowler. Um, Two, because in Kevin Stefanski's offense, the runs look like a pass and the pass looks like a run. And oftentimes, the, it's, the, it's the outside backer, the, the off-ball backer, that will guard the tight end. And if you can exploit that and make that matchup think that it's a run, then the tight end will most likely be open. So I think that Austin Hooper, with his experience and with the Kevin Stefanski offense, I think that that gives him – the edge. I think Austin Hooper has the edge there. I think he gets more yards. I think he gets more touchdowns. Uh, I don't think he gets more receptions. I think uh, I think TJ gets more receptions. Chris, your turn. <laughs> you know, I've had my time to gather my thoughts, but no, to me, this is a in the bag Austin Hooper. Not even disagree with the receptions. I think I think Austin Hooper leads the way over CJ. I mean, this is still a guy. I'm not even convinced that he's a stat. They only have they, – he's the only one on their depth chart right now. I don't – I think this could still see some moves prior to the season. Not that I'm hating on CJ. From fantasy's sake, I, he's had some good ball games. Uh, you know, he's definitely – he's definitely done, done a little bit of work there. But 
I don't see CJ keeping up, uh, keeping up with with Hooper there, um, and even with the offensive uh, mix there in in Cleveland, I still think Hooper's role will be established enough to exceed CJ's role with the Bengals. Um, now we could see. I mean, the tight ends becoming a pretty uh, pretty big target, especially for rookie quarterbacks entering the league. Um, a lot of checkdowns, like you mentioned, but still, I think Hooper's role in a already loaded offense is is good enough to take the lead there. I, I even think Njoku's role might might still outplay CJ. You think I'll so? go that. I'll go that. There's two. No, there's. You want to place many. a bet? You want to place a bet? Okay, what's the bet? I'll I'll I'll, I'll bet you that. The Browns' number two tight end, if you'll give me that, between Njoku or Harrison Bryant. Okay. The Browns' number two tight end has more receptions than CJ. All right. We'll bet it. All right. So, okay. what's the bet? What's uh, – we'll, we'll figure that. We'll, we'll have somebody lay out the terms for us, all right? Maybe, okay. maybe when we get right. email on, all on right? On Facebook. On Facebook. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And, and you, guys got, right, cool. you guys got a comment on that stuff, all right? Yeah. All right, man, Chris, hey, listen, who's fried? Give it to us quick, man. We got to close the show. Yep, yep. Uh, who's fried for me um, is anybody who dares to get into the boxing ring with our own Dollar Dame. Damian Lillard was uh, videotaped this past weekend in the ring with the gloves on, Mitch, sparring it up. Dude, I, I Dang, similar dude. to him and Mike Tyson, Mike, like, Today, Mike Tyson, as in his charity, take a sucker punch from Mike Tyson. Either one of those two guys, I'm not getting punched at all by either of them. And uh, who, and if, if somebody's going to jump up in the ring with Damian Lillard, you are absolutely fried. That's my who's fried of the week. Uh, how about you, Mitch? <laughs> I've got to go with, uh, with our hometown boy, Mike Brown. Oh, uh, uh, somehow it got leaked that in 2017, Mike Brown begged Bengals players to not take a knee. Oh, wow. And um, how, as, listen, without some kind of incentive, how do you not expect that to get out? Oh, my gosh. How do you yeah. not expect that? Mike Brown, like, listen, you're – you are fried. Never like, come on, man. Come on. That's fried to me. That is fried. So, um, so yeah, I like it. I like it. Yeah. Nice. Okay, man. Hey, it's been a great show. It's been a little bit of a long one, but I think we, we did a great job. So yeah. next, uh, to, like next show on, on, it'll be Wednesday for us, but Thursday for them, um, yeah. we will discuss, uh, we'll do the same thing, but we'll do it with Steelers and Ravens. Uh, perfect we'll yeah sounds good bro well been good as always uh if you guys listen to the pod let's make sure you know let's try to subscribe uh keep you updated on spotify with our new episodes coming out uh go ahead and share it with your friends and family and uh yeah the, the sports booth get it get in it get in it awesome well we're checking out we'll see you guys later Bye.